We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. For the jam. Warren lets it fly. Yes! TJ Warren is not human! Okich. Oh, he's mother that chicken! He's mother the chicken! Well, you got it sitting in the face, and I think that's terrific. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Pacer Nation, what's going on? We are here live after the Pacers lost to the Miami Heat. And uh, they lost 92-87. We're going to be joined today by the one and only Mark Monteith. Mark, thanks for joining us. Hey, good to be with you guys. Absolutely. So let's just get right into this game. Pacers' last made basket was around the 649 mark before Karis LeVert hit another layup with about 47 seconds left in the game. Mark, these fourth quarter woes for the Pacers have just been awful. Talk us through it. Yeah, it's really frustrating to see that happen time and time again. You might expect that early in the season when you have a new coach as you're getting acclimated to a new system. Uh, but it's really gotten worse as the season has gone on, basically. You know, the Pacers won some close games early, uh, and they just don't get good shots. Now, who do you blame for that? You basically have to be at practice and be in the locker room to answer that. I think there's a lot of blame to spread around. The Pacers make some bad decisions. They force passes or they just miss decent shots, but I don't think their structure is good enough to get them the right shots really consistently throughout a game and particularly in key moments at the end of a game. Other teams simply get better shots than the Pacers do. Uh, and that surprises me because the reason Nate Bjorken was brought in 
to be the coach was for uh, the half court offense. You know, as far as I know, um, you know, Nate McMillan was let go because the players were frustrated by their stagnant half court offense. You know, you heard the players talk about it really after they were swept by the heat in the playoffs. Uh, Miami just got better looks. And so they bring in Nate Bjorkren, who's supposed to be an X and O guy, a great basketball mind. And they're, to me, their offense is really no better than it was in the past. That They play at a faster tempo. They get up more three-point shots. They get to the line more, but they don't necessarily get better shots. And when they need a good shot down the stretch of a game, such as tonight, they usually don't get it. So it's surprising this far into the season that that is still the case. Yeah, I mean, when you're talking about putting up more three-pointers, I mean, between Sabonis, Justin Holiday, Malcolm Brogdon, and Karis LeVert, two of 22 combined from three tonight. Uh, was this a game that when Doug McDermott had it going early on, three of three from three, did you kind of want a little bit more McDermott, or was it the right move to move away? Because he kind of had the hot hand early on, and we kind of needed that. Yeah, you did. Uh, they were kind of, it seemed like they were a little slow to get him in back into the game in the second half. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's easy to say looking back. I of mean, course. it's always tough because you don't want to just bench a guy when he's not shooting particularly well, you know, because you'll just be on a merry-go-round throughout the season if you're doing that. You have to show some confidence in the guy or stick with guys if they're not shooting particularly well. But there is a point where you do have to pull a guy if he's shooting really poorly. And you mentioned the starters um, aside from um, Miles Turner. Yeah, Miles Turner, uh, who hit half of his attempts, uh, were terrible. So you either got to have an offense that gets them better looks, or because some of those three pointers were not good looks. You know, there was a defender mm-hmm. there. Uh, you know, they just were kind of ill advised shots, or they were too quick in the shot clock. You're going to have that if you're really emphasizing getting up more three-pointers. I would rather shoot less but get better looks at the basket. So, you know, you're going to have bad shooting nights throughout the course of a season. Every team does. Uh, you got to live with that to a point. But I just don't think their offensive structure is good enough that they get consistently good looks on the three-point line uh, or, for that matter, in other parts of the court. So, yeah, you could have made a – you could make a great argument for getting uh, McDermott in there earlier tonight. Um, or getting one of the other guys out of there, or, you know, if the three-pointers aren't falling, you got to have a way of getting to the basket or shooting mid-range shots. There's nothing wrong with mid-range shots. Uh, you know, T.J. Warren lives off of those. So, um, again, I think, you know, you can't point the finger at any one person, uh, but certainly it's partly the coaching and partly the players. And boy, oh, boy, do they miss uh, T.J. Warren out there on the court. I will, uh, I will say this. When it comes to when it comes to TJ McConnell, his shot, <laughs> that little floater in the paint, has probably been their most consistent go-to uh, shot when they don't have a shot to, through the offense. Like he he's the only one to me right now that that creates that <laughs> a little bit of space. It's like the only shot you can rely on to maybe give you a 50-50 chance of going in. But I think at the end of the day, that that's not going to get it done. Obviously, so um, it, to me, it feels like Bjorken really likes McConnell a little too much for me. Obviously, McDermott had a really good game. I was surprised with how well the defense was for Miami. Um, you know, not putting Justin back in there, a guy that's a good three-point shooter and a much better defender than McConnell. Were you surprised that he rode with McConnell so late into that fourth quarter? Well, not really, because that's one criticism I had of Nate McMillan was that, you know, McConnell could be having one of his games and the offense is moving and things are rolling. And 
he never let him finish a game. I don't think McConnell finished even one game last season, literally. And I like the fact that Nate Bjorkren has been willing to do that. And the offense does move better when McConnell's in the game because he gets into the lane. And if he doesn't have one of those floaters that you mentioned, he'll get the ball to somebody else. McConnell wasn't as good tonight as he usually is. But I'm really never uh, opposed to McConnell being in the game because he makes the offense work so much better. He takes pressure off of Brogdon. Brogdon shoots so much better when he's not really controlling the offense, when he's playing an off-guard position. So it didn't work out tonight, but I'm usually perfectly fine with McConnell being in there. And he may, you know, his size is a problem, but he does a good job of staying in front of his man. He's, he may very well be the quickest guy on the team, and he doesn't give up dribble penetration as often as some of his teammates do. So I'm okay with McConnell playing most nights. You know, I think things go better offensively when he's in there. You know, five fouls might have dictated things a little bit, but it feels like 11 minutes has kind of been the magic number for Goga. He's played 11 minutes in three of the last four, but I like what I've seen out of Goga lately. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the improvements you've seen from Goga lately? Well, I think he's just more confident. You know, I, I, I like what I see as well. I mean, he's knocking down the three-pointers better now. He's got moves around the basket. He can block shots. He's a, an aggressive rebounder. Last year as a rookie, it was really weird. You know, he hardly ever hit a three-pointer, but every one of his shots looked good. You know, he wasn't throwing up too many bricks, and his form looks good, so you always thought he had a chance of hitting one. This year, a lot of those shots are going in from the three-point line, so – yeah, I like uh, what he's showing. Uh, you know, down the road, he might force a transaction of some kind if he becomes good enough to be a starter. But um, that's a real plus to have a backup center uh, like him. And I, I would be perfectly fine with him getting more minutes. Obviously, you want Sabonis and Turner out there. But as the season goes on here, Sabonis, you know, has to be wearing down some. I would be fine with cutting back on Sabonis' minutes somewhat and get, getting Goga a little bit more minutes, you know, getting 15 or 16 minutes or so, because uh, I think he's earned it, and I think he gives you something. So uh, that's certainly been a plus. Speaking of Sabonis and these heavy minutes that he's been getting all year long, clearly, I mean, he's having a good year, but this team overall is just having a very mediocre year, especially since they did trade Victor Oladipo. They got off to a nice hot start. So Sabonis gets that two-time All-Star bid. He gets in the All-Star game after Durant misses it, and We've seen some really good moments from Sabonis, but we've also seen some moments on defense where it's just not been great. So we've had conversations about, you know, what this team should do with the future of the team and all that kind of stuff. But just looking at this system right now, uh, how do you think Domas fits in with this Bjorkren system? And uh, what are some, I guess you could say, what are some pros and cons to the Bjorkren system as far as it goes regarding Sabonis? Yeah, um, it's okay, but I think, the ball sticks with him. You know, I think it's fine to feed him in the low post. Obviously he can do some things down there, but he's not a guy who you want dribbling with his back to the basket and, you know, trying to get up a fadeaway shot or jump hook. Cause he's really pretty awkward down there. If he can't muscle his way to the rim or dunk on somebody or just get a layup, you know, his percentage is not very good as a shooter. So I think it's fine to go to him and it, at times, but I think he, it has to be set up so that if he doesn't have something quickly, get rid of it because the ball sticks down there. Then you have four guys standing and watching. Uh, he's really good on the elbow as a passer. If somebody's making a back cut or whatever, you know, he's uh, obviously he's a triple double guy. He'll give up the ball 
and make good passes for layups. So I, I'd like him on the elbow around the free throw line more. Uh, he told me I did a Zoom call with him last May during the pandemic, and he said his dad, you know, had told him you got to work on your mid-range shot and extend your range out to the three-point line to really be an effective player. But he hasn't really improved in that regard. His mid-range shots dicey. His three-point. He got off to a pretty good start as a three-point shooter, but has been pretty bad lately. He shoots a stiff-legged line drive, so he's never going to be a good three-point shooter unless he gets his form improved. Somebody needs to work with him on that, <laughs> uh, you know, off-season in particular, because he's the way he shoots the ball, uh, he's never going to be a good three-point shooter, and his free-throw percentage ought to be better as well, you know, because he shoots a stiff-legged, kind of a line drive shot. He's really not lined up correctly, in my opinion, on his free throws. Uh, he kind of shoots it across his body. So, um, you know, he obviously, hey, you're talking about an all-star. You're talking about an automatic double-double. You're talking about a guy who, you know, has the franchise record for triple-doubles. You know, will have it at the end of the year. So you can't be too critical, but I think they can make better use of him by not letting him pound the ball down there, or not work against double teams. He makes a lot of just mental errors of forcing a pass or sometimes forcing a shot. He gets a lot of needless fouls, in my opinion. He gets beat up a lot and gets some bad calls, but I think a lot of his fouls are offensively and defensively are needless. So there's some decision-making that can improve. So I guess you can say it's encouraging that as good as he is, he has a lot of room for improvement. And if they can find a way to take better advantage of what he can do, then uh, that'll be a huge plus for them. And one of the things you mentioned, offensive fouls, nearly three offensive fouls for Sabonis before uh, one got overturned. Do you think Sabonis is maybe complaining a little bit too much to these refs? Because there was one play that stuck out in, in specific where he didn't get back on defense. And yeah. I just feel like it's each game he is being way too vocal with these refs. I'm almost waiting for a technical here and there. Yeah, I agree. No question. And I mean, I'm sure it's frustrating. He gets beat up a lot, you know, around the basket. He plays a physical game. And I think there are times when he doesn't get a foul call, you know, when a defender hacks him. But still, you got to play. Uh, you can't be down there uh, griping when uh, the other team's going five on four. Brogdon got caught doing that tonight as well. So uh, it's easy to tell players not to do that in the course of a game. They're going to get frustrated and Every player, you know, in the league has done that on occasion uh, every year of the league. You know, guys have been griping about calls. So, uh, but still, uh, you've got to do better with that. You can't uh, be complaining when the ball is in play. You know, let the coaches handle that or wait for a dead ball. Uh, again, I can understand a lot of Sabonis' frustration, but you got to curb it. You know, you just got to let some of it go and realize that maybe some calls are going to get missed and just keep playing. I want to talk a little bit about uh, Karis LeVert. This is a guy that, you know, we we traded Oladipo for, obviously went through that whole entire uh, removing of the cancer, and now he's coming back. He's been with the team for a couple of weeks now, a few weeks, and we've, we've seen some bright spots, but we've seen a lot of rusty spots too. I think fans are a little lukewarm on how they feel about his overall play. So I, I guess what has been your overall thoughts on him as a player uh, since coming back from the, uh, from the cancer surgery and then kind of just talk a little bit about you know, what, what his future could be with this team. Yeah, he hasn't been very good lately. Uh, just hasn't shot it well. He forced some things tonight. Uh, I like the trade. Uh, I wasn't one who thought Ol uh, Oladipo had asked for a trade. I didn't think they had to trade him. 
but the opportunity they had, they could not pass up. You know, the, I thought the Pacers were fortunate that Harden was forcing his way out of Houston and kind of forced that four-team deal. To get Karis LeVert, I thought was great because he's two years younger. He has two more years on his contract. I don't think he's better than Oladipo and maybe not as good as Oladipo, but he's close enough. Uh, I think if you look at his career statistics, he's a equal or a slightly better shooter. Uh, he may, I think he's better in the offense. He'll give up the ball more, you know, even though he shot poorly tonight, he had good numbers on assists and steals. Um, he's not, you know, Oladipo was the first team all defense guy a couple of years ago. I don't think Levert is not that level of defense. He's not as quick. Uh, he doesn't take charges like Oladipo does, but, uh, there are things he does better. So you could argue whether he's as good as Oladipo or not, but he's close enough. And I thought the deal was really good. He's shown enough flashes that you stick with him, you know, and regardless of what he's done these last couple of weeks or whatever it is where he's been struggling more, you know, aside from that game winner yet. Um, you look at his career stats, he's an 18-point score. He's a guy capable. I mean, he's had a 53-point game, and he's had games over 40 as well. So, you know, I've, that's what he could do. You know, he's not suddenly a bad player or a bad shooter. He's going to be a good player. But, you know, when obviously T.J. Warren is not coming back this season, but looking down the road next season, you're going to have, you know, an offense if you bring back a starting five that's just intended to be now with a lot of scores, and they got to figure out a way to make it work and keep some balance there. And that's the key to me for this team is balance. You know, you want five guys in double figures if you can get it. You want an equal shot distribution because that is their strength. They don't, they don't have a superstar who can carry this team. So um, Levert will fit into a balanced offense. I thought Oladipo dominated the ball too much. There was a stat that I kept going back to when Oladipo was a pacer that when he took 15 or fewer shots, they hardly ever lost. And something fluky had to happen for them to lose when he did that. But when, when he took more than 20 shots, they had a horrible record. So I think Levert fits better into a balanced offense. He will give up the ball more quickly than Oladipo. He'll make the simple pass to an open man, whereas Oladipo wanted to dribble and try to take his man off the dribble, and he would give it up if he could get to the basket and draw a defender, but he wasn't going to make the reversal pass or the simple pass uh, often enough. So I think Levert can fit into a good offense if the coaches can structure it. I think over time he'll be a good enough shooter. Uh, I think he's a good guy in the locker room. Uh, so I think long-term, it's very encouraging. He just hasn't been very good uh, recently in most of the games. You know, while you can never pin it on just two guys, but the Pacers have really struggled rebounding-wise. They're even worse than they were last year and getting to the free-throw line. Yet they continue to go with Sabonis and Miles Turner in the lineup. Do you anticipate a change happening in the offseason, uh, even despite not getting to see this team with T.J. Warren? Or is it once again, we want to see our ideal starting five before we make any major changes? Yeah, I think it all comes down to what opportunities are there. You know, when people talk about, well, they need to trade this guy or that guy, or they need to go after, you know, a, a four, you know, rebounding four, whatever, you know, you think the needs are. It's really about what are your opportunities, you know, uh, I remember once talking to Donnie Walsh about trades and they asked him about his philosophy. He says, well, I try to make trades that improve the team. And he We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, duh. You know, of course, on my part, and that's what we always need to remember. You'll make any trade if it improves the team. Uh, if it doesn't, you don't make it unless you're in a situation of, you know, needing to shed salary or you're, you are going to break up a team or whatever. You make whatever trade improves the team. If that involves Sabonis, you make it. If it involves Brogdon, you make it. You know, you may feel like we need to, uh, if you're the front office, you may be thinking, well, we need to, uh, you know, be a rebounding, better rebounding team or a better, you know, perimeter shooting team or a better defensive team, whatever, you know, you can address that and uh, target a trade along those lines, but still you won't do it unless you really believe it. It makes the team better. So I, you know, I'm okay with, I think I give Miles Turner credit for accepting a role. I think most great teams have a role player who doesn't look to score much and Turner's kind of a role player who can score. You know, tonight he was the only good three-point shooter. And uh, he's the, the league's best shot blocker. You know, she- Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Huge value in that. Um, he's a decent rebounder. The rebounding issues really to me are out on the perimeter. I think Sabonis gets his share and Turner has become decent in that regard. Uh, but, you know, they don't get the long rebounds. Guys are standing around or they just aren't quick enough to the ball. So, you know, that's really an issue from the guards and small forwards to get those longer rebounds. Uh, T.J. Warren, for example, is a really poor rebounder. He did. He was a good defender last year and a great score, but he didn't rebound. So, you know, uh, they got to do better in that regard. So as far as offseason moves, it, it wouldn't be a bad thing necessarily to – uh, bring everybody back. Uh, but if you can make a deal, you know, to improve the team, regardless of where it is, regardless of the position, go ahead and do it. You know, that's, um, you just, you're always kind of on the lookout for that. Uh, I think teams make mistakes when they feel pressured to make a deal. Got to do something. You know, the GMs are there to improve the team. And so many of them fall into the trap of making a deal, you know, just to be active, you know, to be look like they're trying. And then if you force something, you really wind up looking bad, and that's when you get fired. Yeah, no, I mean, honestly, if the Pacers miss the playoffs or if they get swept again in the first round or go out in five games, I mean, 
a lot of fans are probably looking at this Pacers team kind of like a lot of fans looked at that Orlando mm-hmm. Magic team, uh, a team that made the playoffs. So it was pretty consistent, but, you know, they could never get healthy. Jonathan Isaac was the big question mark, always a question of health. And I, I just feel like with this Pacers team, you know, something's something's got to change, and maybe it is T.J. Warren, but I, I'm not sure. But I, I want to transition a little bit, Mark, here into our next game, Friday night against the Charlotte Hornets. This is a team that has been playing exceptionally well this season. Uh, I think they've really caught the the league by storm. I don't think anybody expected them to be this good. Maybe thought they'd be fun to watch with all the new additions they had. But um, talk about this game a little bit. What, what do you think the Pacers need to do to win? And also, uh, I'm just curious because I never got to hear your thoughts. What were your thoughts on the uh, the, the rumblings that happened in the offseason of uh, the, the Turner for Hayward conversation that happened? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, you know, obviously there was conversation. You know, we know that, and they they notified Miles Turner that hey, we're talking about this deal. Um, I think it would have been a mistake to pay Gordon Hayward that much money. I mean, there was talk of a hometown discount, but you know, pretty sure he would have been the highest paid player on the team. And he's older than we think. You know, he looks young, but uh, was he? Is he thirty? I think uh, he's right in that range. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's uh, he's been around a while now. He's got a lot of miles. So to give him a long-term contract and um, at that high number, to me, would have been a mistake. I thought they did the right thing without knowing the specifics of the opportunity they had. I thought they did the right thing. And, you know, yeah, Gordon Hayward would be nice to have, but where would you be without Miles Turner as a shot blocker and intimidator in the lane? So, um and I doubt that Gordon Hayward's three-point percentage, I haven't looked it up, but I doubt it's that much better than Miles Turner. So uh, I, I, I was fine with that. Um, you know, you, the whole thing of bringing guys back who are hometown guys, that makes for a nice story, but it really isn't going to sell tickets for you if the team's not winning. That's the only thing that really sells tickets is a winning team. So that's got to be your emphasis. So, yeah, as far as the Friday game, I mean, Charlotte is an interesting team. You know, they uh, – They've got young guys. I mean, Ball, you know, uh, when he plays, is just outstanding. And uh, they got pretty good balance. Uh, Rozier is coming into his own. He's getting opportunities now. So, uh, you know, Michael Jordan's been there a long time, and it's taken him a long time to get anything going. But right now, it does look they look like they have some kind of a future. So, to, But for the Pacers, they just got to be worried about themselves. You've got to – have a better offense. You've got to execute better. You've got to get better shots. You know, to me, their effort is pretty consistent. It wasn't the previous game early on, but, you know, they look engaged. I don't see any hints of, you know, dissension or bad body language. You know, I I think they care. They want to win and their effort's okay. It's just execution. And it's more specifically getting better shots. And that starts with the coaching staff and then the players have to execute it. So regardless of who they're playing, I would say that's what their focus has to be. You've got to get better shots on offense and execute better. You know, at this point, we're entering May, uh, entering April. There's going to be about a month and a half left on the season. Pacers, uh, after this loss, I believe they're now three games back of the fourth seed. So it's still in reach. But, you know, Mark, this team is halfway in from having half court and then halfway into being in the lotto. Where do you think this team can really finish the rest of the season at? Well, the schedule does get easier. You know, Mm -hmm. they don't schedule lately because, you know, with all the NCAA activity there, they've had to be on the road for a stretch. You look at their schedule over the last 
couple of weeks of the season. A lot of home games is pretty favorable. So that will help help them make a run here late. If they can just get it together better, if they could just execute better down the stretch, uh, they could certainly be a playoff team and maybe they can avoid that play in tournament. You know, maybe they can get to the what the sixth spot. They're like what going into tonight's game, I think they're a game back of there. So um, you know, I think there's reason for optimism if they uh, don't lose anybody else to injury for a length of time and they do somehow get this offense going better and execute better. Uh, you know, the talent is there certainly. So I think the best thing though, assuming that they have reasonable health the rest of the year, the best thing they have going for them is the schedule that they close with. So that'll be uh, an asset down the stretch. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, it's uh it's hard to not overreact when you see them struggling like this. It's just, you look at them and you're just like, man, you guys got to be better than this. And, and it feels like they should be uh, based on earlier this season, how they played. I did want to circle back to your comments on Hayward versus Turner. Turner is shooting 33% from three this year on four and a half attempts. Hayward is shooting 41% on oh, take that back then, 4.7 right. attempts. So he's right, having a got- pretty good shooting year this year. But, I mean, a lot of that has to come with the playmaking abilities. And I think that just the fit of what, what Charlotte's doing is probably just a little bit better than what the Pacers have. Not Nothing against these guys, but, I mean, when I look at Malcolm Brogdon, I don't think of an elite playmaker. I, I think of a guy that's uh, better off ball. When I look at Karis LeVert, this is a guy that I think can play better on ball than off ball. But at the same time, He's uh he's still trying to get his feet wet. And, and so then you're really relying basically on your ball movement to come from McConnell mostly and, and Sabonis. And it, when it's predictable like that, I think that's easier to easier to guard this team. But yeah, I think go ahead. Uh, I would say Brogdon poses a dilemma, I think, for the Pacers because yeah, he's a good player. Averages 20 a game and his percentages are good. Didn't shoot well tonight, but his you know, shooting percentages are good. Uh, seems to be a leader, certainly a good guy in the locker room and all that. Uh, but like you alluded to, he's not a point guard. That's not his strength. You know, the reason he shot so well in Milwaukee is that he was playing off the ball. Mm-hmm. But as a point guard, he really struggled with the shot. This year, I know he worked on shooting off the dribble and that kind of thing, and he got, he's been better. But still, his strength is off the ball, and that's why McConnell you know, closes games and why he plays more. Um, so I'm fine with it, but still, you know, long-term, are you going to keep Brogdon as your point guard, uh, and have Levert at two, and then, you know, TJ Warren comes back, so he's three, then you have Turner Sabonis, that seems like a good lineup, but are you going to get the ball movement with that, because, you know, you don't, Warren's not a distributor, he rarely gets an assist, you know, you can't expect Turner to do that, Sabonis, in some situations, will, if you have him positioned correctly, use him correctly, uh, Levert will get his share, but he's not a playmaker in my opinion. So it does pose a dilemma. Can you have a good offense with motion in it, with movement off the ball, that kind of thing with Brogdon as your point guard? And if you can't, then something has to be done, whether it's a different point guard or some kind of change to the structure of it that brings about better offensive execution. You know, staying on the subject of Malcolm Brogdon, it sounded like once the trade deadline was approaching that it felt like, you know, there was a lot of reports that the Pacers were taking calls on Brogdon. Do you think the Pacers had any real interest in moving Brogdon or was it more just teams were calling about him? Yeah, I don't know. You never know with that kind of thing. You know, you always hear reports of, well, they've had conversation about this guy or that guy. Well, that could mean some team called 
and offered something and the patient said, get out of here, you're crazy. You know, that's a conversation. So I never put too much stock in what I hear in the rumors uh, regarding trades. Uh, there are so many rumors and so few trades. So, you know, you always have to be careful about what you believe. But like any other player, I'm sure they're willing to trade Brogdon for the right deal. But uh, I can't believe they're shopping him or, you know, trying to get rid of him. Uh, he's a good player, uh, has a, little, a lot of good qualities, but you somehow have to construct uh, an offense that uh, brings about execution. You know, the, the Pacers had uh, real interest. I mean, they nearly signed Ricky Rubio, uh, you know, a couple summers ago when then Brogdon became available and they took Brogdon, but they were going to sign Rubio. And the reason was he's a quarterbacking point guard. And, you know, they haven't had many quarterbacking point guards around here lately. You know, guys who aren't really looking to score, but who are really good passes and know how to run an offense. So um, they're still kind of looking for a quarterbacking point guard or somebody, you know, who can make an offense click. And uh, Brogdon, you know, he's great at getting to the basket, but he's not going to, you know, be a, an assist guy. Uh, he's not Mark Jackson. You know, he's not um, Jamal Tinsley. He's not a guy who can really uh, make an offense click so that's okay because he has other qualities, but somehow you've got to construct an offense that takes advantage of his strengths and keeps everyone else involved as well. Yeah, and that's why on my dream list of players, it's De'Aaron Fox. I mean, I know it's not going to happen, but getting a guy like that, I, I think would really change the trajectory of this team. But right now, I'm just curious as we wrap this conversation up, Mark, what do you think the ultimate ceiling is of this Pacers team with a, with a healthy T.J. Warren? Well, yeah, that's that's the question, isn't it? That's what the yeah. has to be asking. You know, uh, uh, I think certainly a playoff team and a team that can win a round or two in the playoffs if they develop chemistry. I keep going back to that world. That to that word, you could have all the scores in the world on the court, but if the ball isn't moving and they aren't getting good shots, it doesn't do you any good. One of Warren's strengths is that he can create a shot, and that's a real plus. So uh, with uh, the right execution – uh, and T.J. Warren, they're certainly a playoff team. And uh, to me, a team that can grow together and be a team that makes a little noise in the playoffs. I'm not ready to declare them a championship team, but it's a team that you uh, are willing to give a chance to and see what you have and then make adjustments as you go. So, you know, they don't have a lot of choice right now. You know, I mean, you know, you can always make a trade, but it's hard to make trades – that dramatically improve the team unless somebody's got a reason to unload somebody. So, um, you know, I've always stated that, you know, you got to wait and see what you have with this team. You know, I know people are frustrated by the playoff exits in the first round, but you've got to acknowledge the absence of Oladipo and the absence of Sabonis. And it's not fair to judge the coach by that when your supposed best player or your all-star player is not there. The Pacers have gotten beat by a better team you know, every year in these last four playoffs. So um, I'm not putting that on the coach and I'm really not even putting it on management right now. When you have injured guys, you can't blame anyone for that. So when they get everybody healthy, if they can keep everybody healthy and be in the playoffs with the intended starting lineup, you know, that's when we find out what they have. And then you would make uh, transactions off of what you see then. You know, I love T.J. Warren and everything that I saw in the bubble, and I think all Pacer fans are waiting for him to come back. But 
Should the Pacers be worried about Warren's injury history as he's lining up to, you know, enter free agency after next season? Yes. <laughs> yes, because last year was an anomaly, wasn't it? He got mm-hmm. through to, um, injury-free, uh, but his last couple of years in Phoenix and now this year, you know, missing all but four games this year, and he, he um, you know, missed a lot of games his last two years in Phoenix. That deal they made suddenly looks different than it did last year, doesn't it? You know, they, you could understand what they were thinking. They had other players in his position, uh, Bridges and Oubre, and they've since gotten rid of Oubre, but, you know, Bridges is a good player, and they wanted to clear some salary cap space, and they did that, and Phoenix is a good team right now. So uh, suddenly the trade everybody was kind of making fun of a year ago makes sense for Phoenix. So it is a concern. And I don't know what you do about that. You know, why are some guys injury prone and some guys not? Part of it's luck. Somebody steps on your foot or whatever. You know, you can't do much about that. But the fact remains, some guys are indeed injury prone. Uh, You know, Brogdon uh, has been okay in this regard this year, but certainly he's been injury prone his last uh, couple, three years. So, uh, or at certain points in his career. So, I mean, even missed a year in college with an injury, had to take a redshirt. So uh, that presents a real problem. And really, what can you do if you're the front office about that? Um, it may prevent you from giving somebody a new contract when they become a free agent. But while they're with you, you just got to roll with it and hope to get the most out of them that you can and try to get a little lucky. Yeah, and that's – then. Back to Prague, and that's why I fell to the second round of the NBA draft as well, because teams were worried about that injury. So that injury. And he was a fifth-year senior, too. Yeah, yeah you know, that's true. Fifth-year seniors aren't likely to go very high. No, no, they're not. But, hey, he won Rookie of the Year, rightfully so. So, um, Mark, I know you're, uh, you're, you've are you changed some things up a bit. You're not writing for Pacers.com anymore. But as we let you go, where can people find all of your work at, and where can they find you at on social media? Yeah, I'm doing a couple things a month for the Indianapolis Business Journal sports article. So that's been kind of nice to branch out a little bit, do some non-pacer stuff. I, I'll have a story in Friday's edition on Mike Woodson. Okay. And I, I talked to Isaiah Thomas and Randy Whitman and, and Ray Tolbert and Landon Turner because they were all teammates of his. And by the way, I think Woodson's a good choice. I'm, I actually think that was a, it's a risk, risk well worth taking for Indiana. Mm-hmm. And um uh, and I'm working on another book. You know, I, I did a book called Reborn that covers the formation of the Pacer franchise in the first two seasons when it got off the ground. And now I want to focus on the championship seasons and in particular focus on the personal stories of some of their key players. So I've spent a lot of time with guys like George McGinnis and Billy Keller and Rick Mount. I've done a lot of research into Roger Brown, a lot of things that I didn't know. You know, I've been around here since those days and knew a lot, but I've learned a lot. And wow. so I really want to get into the biographical stuff on on their personal stories, you know, their, the ups and downs, even their lives after they retired. So um, that's what I work on. You know, I'm, uh, I wouldn't, <laughs> I, way I'm semi-retired, but I'm busy as can be because of the book project and the stuff I do for the IBJ as well. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Mark. It's always a privilege and a a pleasure talking to you. So thank you so much. And uh, we'll have to have you back on again soon. All right. Thank you, guys. Good to be with you. All right, Fachi. So we just heard a lot of great nuggets there from Mark Monteith. But at the end of the day, the Pacers just failed once again to complete a fourth quarter. And, you know, it's same old story, same old song and dance. Not too much to talk about. Yeah, it's disappointing because they always say basketball is a game of runs. I felt like when the Pacers opened up, 
you know, the third quarter on just a huge run, 13 nothing run. I was like, wow, we, we might walk away with this. And then they uh, proceeded to give up 11 straight. And that's just kind of how it was. We went on some hot runs and then went cold at the worst possible time. So after, after seeing this game and seeing how the last couple of games against Miami went, do you feel confident the Pacers could make this somewhat of a competitive playoff series, or do you still want to avoid Miami at all costs? I'd like to avoid Miami because I don't think they've they've hit their their peak yet or anything of the sort. I think they they were hot for a little bit a couple of weeks ago and then they were really sluggish. But this Pacers team, until we can answer the fourth quarter problems and find a true closer on this team, I mean, if the game's in reach, I just don't feel confident right now. Yeah, nope. I, I put it out on Twitter once again. This is a uh, it's a baseball team. <laughs> they can play eight great innings, but they don't have any closer in the bullpen. Just a bunch of middle relievers that uh, you never know what you're going to get from them on a night to night basis. So anyway, it's just it's been a rough stretch, Fachi. But hey, you know we're still here, right? We're still here covering this team because, like you said earlier in the conversation with Mark, only three games back out of fourth place. Yep. I mean they, they still have a good shot. But anyway, Fachi. Where can the people find us out on social media? So you can find us on Twitter at setting the pace three. You can find Alex on Twitter at Alex golden NBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F a C C I. And on Instagram, we are at Pacers talk. And at the end of the day, when you don't know what else to do, just throw your hands up in the air and say these three words. Let's go Pacers. Nobody builds 5g like Verizon builds 5g. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.